Hello, and you're listening to Let's Drone Out. And special thank you to our lovely patrons that help donate so that we can pay the editor to remove the swear words and silly things we say. Massive thank you to... Carlos Campos. Art Faulkner. Sam Dharma. On with the show. Let's Drone Out. Good evening and welcome to Let's Drone Out, episode 427. This evening we are joined by Curry. Hello. Stephen. Hey. And David Allen. Hello. And we're, we're, we're very happy to have you here, David. Um, Stephen invited you along because I think uh, basically you've, you've helped him out a lot in his mission to get an FPV, FPV racing certificate. Um, so I, I wonder if maybe Stephen, if you want to start off with with that mission, then we can end up where David has been travelling the world since then. Yeah. No problem. Well, yeah, I should probably show what what all the fuss is about because I'm I'm one of apparently a, a handful of individuals who gave it a go and, uh, Ooh. and, and got the British Model Flying Association. Not just the certificate, but the, the, the very rare FPV one. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've got, I think that's the only FPV, FPV one. It's for, for quad racing. I, can't, uh, I don't like the nitpick with the certificate, but it feels like the A should be centered. It's <laughs> my OCD's kind of going off a little bit, and it's like, why is it pushed over to one side? Just mate, mate, you're lucky it's not in Comic Sans. Come on now. Do you know there has been a lot of discussion about that, and it's not really understood why it's off to the left hand side and it should really be in the middle? I think it's because they stole the form from one of the other disciplines, which was slightly longer, and being left justified still worked. So, what they need to do is review the whole lot and put them to center justified and then i think your problem would be fine right? i'll be give happier. it another 25 years and they'll fix it don't worry <laughs> no it'll be fine <laughs> <You're valid. laughs> um anyway yeah so so david w- was happy enough to beat me Ainsford Ainsford model helicopter club and uh went through that and did all the, the safety questions you know risk questions and things and you know can you fly something with metal props? Absolutely not, you idiot. Don't do that. Um, and so on, and height restrictions and, and where to fly, where not to fly, how to take off, how not to take off, and so on and so forth, which are all detailed very handily, I must say, in the, in the handbook that's produced by the BMFA. So not actually too tricky a test and, and pretty enjoyable experience as well, kind of seeing how these things work. And then I flew like the sub beginner novice that I am very slowly and carefully through a series of gates without uh, <laughs> crashing uh, and bouncing off things and, and was awarded the certificate. So thank you very much, David. Uh, but <laughs> I'm sure David has seen some epically better racing because his other role is the uh, GBR team manager. And he's just come back from the, uh, the, the world racing event and probably has some stories to tell about that as well. 
Yeah, lots of stories to tell you all about South Korea. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, we started from right down the bottom and, you know, started doing this seven or eight years ago, met a few guys in the field. And then um, three weeks ago, I was out in South Korea. It's been a, it's been a fantastic journey. Yeah, because um, th- this is the the FAI World Drone Racing Championships, right? Mm. So mm. the FAI are like about as official as you can get. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so that's you know, this isn't uh, you know, there's there's a, there's other world drone events like uh, you know the the D, uh, DCL have their world thing, DRL will uh, kind of consider themselves a world thing. There's a, a multi GP world, but they're all kind of like. They've set themselves up and then said we're the world thing, but the FAI are like they do like you know a lot they are of the sporting sport. body. Yeah, they're the they are, and not only not only for for us in the in the the model um, division of that, but also if, if I went and got my FAI license because I had to have one to be the team manager, it talks about full size gliding, full size helicopters, all sorts of things. So. I mean, I clearly haven't got the skill set to actually go and do those, but I had the piece of paper that would maybe let me apply for that. So, yeah, it, it was really prestigious. And uh, it, it, I was so proud uh, to be walking around the stadium at, uh, you know, behind all of our team, uh, waving our flags. It was shown on television. Okay, it was South Korean television. I'm not sure how high the audience actually was. It was live streamed back to the U.K., and I do know, although it was the middle of the night, plenty of people were up oh, yeah. uh, watching us. I, I, I can confirm. You were as well. Yep, uh, yep, definitely have my alarm set for two o'clock in the morning to come, come and watch like the heat of that we were in. And you know, I, I remember there was particularly, you know, there was some very, very dramatic racing going on. Well, Matt was doing his commentary, and he really was doing his best there, and he had plenty to commentate on. And um, our best heat as uh, Team GBR was when uh, our two competitors went up against each other, and one of them we thought would definitely be knocked out, but they both actually got through. Sorry if you haven't actually watched that yet, but um, (laughs) if you do watch it, they do both get through on that heat. If you go to the BDRA website, there's actually a link there. Which will mm. take you straight to that, uh, that that footage where Owen and um, and, and the other guy's name <laughs> were, were flying against each other for a whole two minutes and whatever, and they were the actual only two that completed it. And it was um, it was a very very dramatic thing. I mean, to to give some context, it was it was the they were the last two of the Team GBR that were still in the racing. Right, it was the. Uh, double elimination finals, the lower bracket. So basically, if you if you don't finish first or second in this race, you're out. Like that's it. That's your your journey done. And uh, they're up against. You know, it just so happened, luck of the draw, that these two Team GB pilots were in this same one of these lower bracket heats. So you know, it's, it was almost head to head. You you've got to win this to to get through. And then uh, you know, uh, the, the two of them. Uh, absolutely going hell for leather, but, but sort of you know falling back behind. I think it was the, the Japanese pilots. I think were sort of pushing way way ahead, and and it, it looked like you know the Team GB were both going to get knocked out. And then one of the other pilots like crashed out something and disappeared. He's like, hey, we, we we're going to get one through. And then you know it, it looks like oh no, he's he's, he's too far behind. We're not going to get the other one. We're not going to get the other one. 
and then the 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 other pilot also crashes out and at like the last on the last lap the last corner last lap and then you've got both pilots through yes we're in for another 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 round it's very good very dramatic yeah there was a really tricky obstacle there right at the end just before the finish line which was a dive gate now Stephen, you would have been pleased to see that there weren't dive gates in our test (laughs) because dive gates are probably the worst thing that you can do and it's certainly something that's put me off of racing a little bit to be honest because i'm too crap to go through them really (laughs) but but it was it was the savior for for joshy to get through and Joshi and Owen got through and into the next round, and uh, that that was a good day. I mean, we saw lots of emotions during that. Um, I, I remember one round, and I won't say who I was assisting because <laughs> being team manager, I had to stand next to them, and I said, oh, "I'm really sorry, you've not got through." And his, his head was in his hands, and he disappeared for 15 minutes in a, in a mature way, but just a moment to 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 compose himself. And then we found out that actually someone had made a mistake earlier on the track and so he was back in it again and oh it was just it really was now by roller coaster mm-hmm. i'm not sure it's really worth rewatching the whole 36 hours of the broadcast <laughs> but maybe the highlights i mean to be honest i i did enjoy a lot of the streaming just to see how these poor poor cameramen have been mm-hmm. tasked with following mm-hmm. like racing quads around a racing track like particularly like when, when it was nighttime and you had some LEDs that like ni- yeah. nicely lit up against the background, it wasn't too bad. And after a few days of this, they they got pretty good. But at the beginning, you should just you should just go have a look just for a spin thirty seconds, looking at some of the first rounds of racing and the camera guys poor, trying poor to follow operators. like a quad, like going full speed middle of the day. Like basically just a dot in the background. And they're like, oh my god, what's you just got lots of shots of like, oh, there was a quad here a second ago. There was a quad here a second ago. Here's a um, gate. They'll probably be here any time now. <laughs> <laughs> I think at the early part of the broadcast on on day one, maybe day two as well, they were having issues actually getting the live stream into the mm. TV broadcast. Um, and I think once they got that, they could then use that to fill why they got other cameras into position, etc. But yeah, surely. Yeah. Uh, well, as you as you all know from being a spotter, it's very difficult to work out which one you're actually supposed to be spotting if you're doing that <laughs> kind of sight sometimes. Yeah. And did you go through that gate? Well, I haven't got a clue. Normally, I've only done a quarter of a lap, and you've finished. Um, yeah, it was it was really good that they were. LED lit and the colours were excellent and um, I think that's something we'd like to do over here. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean the the track looks very exciting as well. I mean we're yeah. we're used to sort of uh, some fairly bare bones uh, gates things. I mean there's the inflatable things that have been turning up and that's that's been making it a lot easier as a spectator to know what's going on. But the mm. uh, the course out there, I, I reckon the uh, the budget is slightly higher than, than well, any of just the Just to the point of LEDs, here. I think with, with some of the racing, don't they have a minimum number of LEDs that you have to have on your quad? For the World Championships, we were told that we had to have 40 LEDs. Yeah. And the quads had to be able to show, I think it was six colours. And mm-hmm. no matter what angle, basically, the quad was at, it, it, it had to be visible and the light had to be there. And yeah. to be honest... Putting light bulbs on the outside of a piece of carbon fibre as you're flying it into <laughs> gates and things like that doesn't really enhance durability. No. So the, 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 
the LEDs did get replaced, and I don't think many people had them last more than a day, let alone the whole competition. Well, can you kind but of line them inside the airframe so they're visible, but not actually acting as a, a, a kind of roll cage for the quad? Yeah. They, the, the rules were quite specific, unfortunately, and I, th I think they're going to be reviewed because when they were written, LEDs were nowhere near as bright as they are now. And so uh, cob lights weren't actually allowed for some of the um, some of the events. So what what's what's come out since is like a cob light that you basically it's almost like drawing on uh, with a fluorescent marker around the edge of the frame, and so it's three oh. millimeters high or something like that, and it looks really good, but it doesn't color change. So mm. it's one it's color, cool. and you've got to peel it off and get another. When I was out in Croatia, one guy turned up with with those. I think they're is it Flywheel Rife Light who who does a set? You can buy them in you know red, yeah. green, and blue. I don't know, uh, but it was, um, it was it was brilliant. I, I hope we see some more dusk racing over here, mm -hmm. and I hope we see some LEDs coming up. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think if if we were hosting it, it would have to be an indoor event anyway. So maybe we should turn the lights off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah they were pretty bright, but um, yeah, probably well, there, there is something. Obviously, to be have to be waterproof, don't they? Well, exactly. Yeah, a windproof. Very windproof at the moment. <laughs> well, windproof uh, would be a good thing, and it would have been a good thing for the obstacles out in Korea as well mm. because the wind mm. picked up, didn't it, really? And um, a few of the obstacles got lost. Two of them got taken out of the event permanently, and they weren't that robustly made. Having said that, they were about four metres or so tall, so when they came crashing down and laid flat on the floor, they weren't one gate anymore. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I wanted to put them back together, and and I think the facing on them was was three mil ply, and a quad will go through three mil ply. Wow. And wow. what was happening on a couple of occasions, it would go through the face of the gate and not come out the other side and <laughs> drop down in the middle. So mm. it then became a bit of a, an exercise in, in how to get the thing back because, of course, they didn't necessarily disconnect. So that wasn't mm. very good. We couldn't mm. carry Lots on with FPV being transmitted on a channel that you really, really need when you've only got five channels that you can really use. That's I've right. never heard of people use ply for gates before. I thought it was all plumbing supplies and fabric. That's what well, I mean. This was a, a much higher budget uh, looking yeah. track than normal. Uh, this, this was in the millions. Mm. But, but it wasn't... We, we were, I hope to think, the prestigious part of the whole show. But the show was also about um, showing what South Korean technology was about, really, and they were using it as a, as a fair to, to pull in people that, mm. that want to buy a, a drone for crop spraying or surveying, or I think there might have even been a bit of military use that was being lightly talked about when we were there. Um, yeah, it was, it was part of a, a bigger show, and um, I, don't, I don't think we'd ever get funding like that over here. Well, <laughs> I dare say if Maybe not something like that happened over here and that the government got wind, you may end up with uh, <laughs> BAE and others uh, coming in and like, oh, by the way, we can sell some sort of defensive drones, if you like, you know, defensive with a couple of missiles as optional, you know? Yeah, well, we... we um... We've done a few articles since we got back and they've been picked up and they've been read by various people and we've had some positive feedback. 
And I, I can't name names, but several people have come forward and said they're looking at uh, sponsoring us for next year. I don't think they're going to give us millions, but yeah. it might it might cover the airfare <laughs> because it is expensive to get all the way to Korea. Mm. Where we'll be next year, I, I don't know. I heard so, a rumor that it was Italy, but maybe that is just rumor at this point. The only substantiation to what was on that was on the chat. <laughs> I don't. I don't think there's any uh, officialness to that. It's just um, rumors. So one of the things it's always tricky to get across in in drone racing is getting an audience to watch it and understand it. You you touched on like the cameras not being able to follow, and you said there was people viewing it. Do you think they got? a pretty good idea of what was going on was was the track adequately because sometimes you see stuff and it's like oh they haven't put like an idea of where you're turning next so you see someone's dvr footage and it's just like sideways flying because they're going into turn so early and it's really yeah we went up the next level or they went up the next level from cones they had two lines down on the floor two lines of leds across the whole track it's i'd I still don't think it's something people are going to watch for 36 hours, which really was the length of the event. <laughs> they were exceptionally... I've been watching anything days. for 36 hours is quite, quite no. a, a push, really. I mean, I watched the Formula One, but, I mean, what's that across the weekend? 12 hours, something like that? And that is, is top-class broadcasting. Um, I, I think it... I think it probably edits down to a nice half-hour or one-hour show. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to just skip through on these and watch the the actual DVR parts. Mm. You know the the VTX transmissions. I, there's a lot of talking heads and a lot of people looking at stuff with screwdrivers in the pits and things, um, and a lot of yeah those wide angle shots where you're like there's there's something moving on screen. Hunt the pixel, but it'd be nice to just get the the actual pilot's views and just just watch that as a you know kind of a canned version. Yes, and uh, they did come available on the last day. On the last day, there was a Twitch stream put up, and you could actually watch the pilot views. But uh, up until that point, I think that's something that they can probably take away from the event, um, pulling everything together like that. I, I, I don't know how many rehearsals they did beforehand. I mean, we've all run events, and we know how difficult it is to rehearse things, um, especially because you haven't got a full a full crew there. But... Um, uh, yeah, I, I think it would have been good, as you say, if there'd been more pilot eyeline. But you can imagine that you know you've got you've got this broadcaster there who's used to covering sports events at that stadium, and you've got someone there who knows how to run a, an HD zero uh, uh, event unit, and then you've you've got to somehow join the two together and have the the, the video receiver in the right place to get a decent signal all the way around but also pass it through into the, the video mixing system. There's, there's a challenge there that maybe the two sides thought was a lot simpler than it actually turned out to be. And you've got to get the commercial side of that right as well. Mm. I'll say no more. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it yeah. was, it, I enjoyed watching it. It was good fun. Um, I mean, talking about the colors as well. So it's got the six colors cause it's they're they're, that having the colors match the frequency that they're on for that race. And you're having mm. to switch between frequencies a lot for each race. I couldn't work out when the frequencies were being switched. I mean, that's a challenge in, in sort of normal event world. Is... Um, well, we'd normally use lifetime, wouldn't we, really, to, to do all of that for us, and it would tell us when it was going to be switched. 
um, the the colours uh, always went with one particular channel, and we were sent because we had quite a bit of time in between races. Sometimes uh, the the colours were were checked and the frequencies were checked when they were collecting the quads from the round before. Mm. So what didn't happen was they weren't maybe there was one or two occasions across each day or something like that where people were on the wrong channel um but you couldn't really it was a bit of a foul safe really because if you had the right lights on you were probably on the right channel if two of you were the same <laughs> color probably not good but there were people there checking it the whole time and yeah. of course we're, we're not we're not dealing with um with newbies here are we we're, we're dealing with probably mm. and the worst case top five in each country there were a few wild cards as well but uh, it was generally the top five in each country so so i'm, I'm thinking back so what it would be it would be the the recovering of a quad from like inside some plywood or on top of a ledge or something uh and and the new new quads will be setting up selecting their frequencies um, and as the live stream, we were watching an interview with a racer from the last uh, last round. That that the the uh, the the broadcaster who was doing the interviews, she was she was very good. She at, was amazing. At, yeah, at pulling out, you know, quite a bit like blood from a stone sometimes. <laughs> uh, a, a good couple of minutes of interview you know, across languages, across. I mean, it was very impressive. Uh, well, the only person that got interviewed from the British team because he won his round was Owen. And uh, I don't know. I mean, my my main recollection of going to Korea was seeing Owen smiling the whole time. <laughs> I don't think he stopped smiling for seven days, which was how long it was between leaving and arriving back at Heathrow. It's, it's a lot of travelling as well, right? How many time zones did you have to cross for that? All of them, I think. <laughs> um it was an eight-hour uh, time difference, and it was a 23-hour journey to get back from um, Seoul. But the day before, we'd also done three taxi rides and a four-hour train journey. So, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was pretty – I don't know. I mean, it was all just so exciting. It didn't really feel tiring. We just we just all felt so so happy to be there and whatever. I mean, I did feel like Michael Palin at one point when we were on this. We went we went to the train station to catch the express train, and she said, "No, there aren't any seats." Okay, can we stand? No, you can't get on the train. Okay, we've got a flight leaving in twenty four hours. Well, you could catch the slow train and change here, and so we did that, and it was pretty much that we'll be sitting on the floor for, for three hours but uh, it, it was just fascinating and uh, mm. the, the korean culture is so different to ours and the language is so different to ours it was really difficult to 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 make ourselves understood for uh, them to make their point over to us there were several taxi drivers that didn't hang around long enough for us to explain where we were going <laughs> but yeah, then we found google translate and everything was right yeah I'm yeah, guessing this was mainly your 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 responsibility for the team is getting the team there to the race and back again, right? Yeah, and then well, well, and and while we were there, because uh, with an FAI event, there's only a certain number of people that can approach the the judges and the officials, and it's only the uh, the team manager. So if you have one of these badges. Mm. So in team manager, and I'm going to keep that. I've, I'm going to put that on my wall. Um, it, 
it's only the ones with the team manager badges that were allowed to go up to the officials and say, oh, I don't think that was right. I mean, you can't just have any pilot going along and, and saying, no, you shouldn't be uh, you shouldn't be taking that lap into account and whatever. And at the end of every race, there was someone behind your seat. I don't know if you saw it. Um, oh, with the cardboard boxes. With the cardboard boxes, otherwise known as a missed marketing opportunity. <laughs> and and they were watching, and they were very good on this because they could actually watch the whole event. And I, I feel sorry for some of them because if you were uh, uh, spotting for Min Chan, I mean, gee, I don't know how you actually see whether he's gone through <laughs> the gate or done half the track or something like that. And so sometimes they actually watched it at half speed afterwards with a jog wheel so they could make sure all the obstacles were gone through. And then uh, that would be agreed with the pilot. Obviously, if if they agreed that it was three laps, it was quite easy. But if you missed a gate or something like that, they would show that to you, and then they would write you down for two laps rather than three, for example. And then either the team manager or the pilot signed off on that, and that went straight into the official results. That part of it was really good, actually, well organised. Mm. Well, I think we we have a, a famous name in in British FPV racing to thank for that, right? I mean, Eric, I saw milling around that sort of area. Eric Liku, who uh, ran rotor racing uh, for you know, basically the, the first sort of organized racing events in the UK. Um, yeah, that, that, that's right. And we went to some of those events in the early years, didn't we? Mm, absolutely. When we, were, when we were kind of, well, I don't know, competitive. <laughs> and, and um, yeah, Eric was there. Of course, Eric couldn't be our judge. And then occasion, mm. Eric had to stand aside. Uh, all national teams had to be judged by someone from a different nationality. Makes uh, sense. There was, there was about eight judges there, and they rotated around. What they might be on the start line, they might be checking channels, uh, they might be uh, registering pilots, etc., or some kind of interface here and there. Yeah, it was, it was a class act. Mm. So, I mean, the the other side of this, then, for anyone who doesn't know, and I haven't really quite understood it, how how does the team selection work nowadays? How how did we end up with Joshi and Owen sort of, sort of representing the UK yeah. at the international event? Yeah, uh, it, it's all written down. It, it wasn't uh, just just me deciding <laughs> that these people should come along. Um, it was decided uh, probably a couple of years ago now, or maybe it was tweaked a little bit at the last AGM. But uh, we changed our season to run from July to July. And at the end of July, it was the top three that were um, in, in, the, in the BDRA rankings. So that's the top three of the people that would qualify for our championships. Of course, at the time we had to choose who was going to Korea. We hadn't had our championship, so we couldn't take that into account. Um, and so it was the top three pilots. If one of those was a junior, then it was just the top three, and that's where we were. And, uh, and then we – other teams, though, they had a bigger group that went out there. And I think that's something that we must work on for next year. We must have a female representative in our team next year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you participate in other racing leagues as well? Is it uh, just the FAI series or do you go broader and do other championships as well? Um, there is a European championship. I don't think that anyone in the UK has been to that for a few years. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure who that's a, 
officiated by it. Do you do you know, Andy? I can't. I can't say off the top of our heads. No. Uh, what about the uh, the well known ones like Multi GP and others? Um, that's a commercial organisation. Uh, it's mostly run by the US. Uh, well, I think it is run from the US. It, it isn't something that's really taken off big time over here yet. Um, I think we're going to see a little bit of movement from our. I mean, I mean, the format we were racing with the FAI event isn't actually that common in America because they they mostly run multi GP. So they had to put a team together. Based How do on the tracks and the format differ between the two then? Um, the track is set by the local association. Uh, the track isn't necessarily set by uh, the FAI for the FAI events. For MultiGP, which I'm, you might have to help me with because I've, I've not looked into it that much, there are a set of series tracks, uh, sorry, a set of tracks which are set out, which are, are set up all over the world, and yeah. they're quite they carefully provide measurements. So, uh, yeah. 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 So every local chapter is essentially racing the same track for their, their qualifier round. That's right. I'm not sure how they actually check that's in, entirely correct, but uh, they do that as well. There were a couple of other things that were going on there as well as the FAI events. There was drone football. Yes, I saw some mm. of that on on the stream. That looks that looks. We spoke I, to them a while ago. We, we did well. We spoke to the the, the US uh, the yeah. US drone soccer people. Yes, but there mm. was. It, Tell me about it, because I never got the chance to watch it. I was just so busy for seven <laughs> days, I didn't see any of it. It's not the easiest sport to track. There's uh, two teams, and they, they fly these quads in plastic uh, yeah. mesh shrouds, basically, and they're all specced, so they're a specific size category with specific powertrain of motor setup. And they've got a bunch of LEDs so they can tell whose team is who, and they're flying line of sight. And it's kind of like a Hogwarts-style like little puck they have to knock around through the air into into a hoop goal i believe so i, I think my understanding is so there's like and and the number on each team one of them one or two of them is like a goalkeeper and the rest of them are like trying to fly through the hoop on the other side of the the the, the cage so they no they're trying to knock something cage. through the hoop aren't they I thought, I thought they were trying to just fly through the hoop no i think there's 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 a, a a ball, a kind of dumb, unpiloted thing that they have to knock around. I thought. Well, we'll have to look. We'll have to look into this. But I, I'm mm. I'm fairly certain they're they're, flo they're all flown. I think. But we'll uh, not, let's move on to avoid any more controversy. <laughs> <laughs> and the other the other thing that was going on there was some esports. So there were some mm. simulators as well. Um, it's difficult though if you've got pilots that are taking part in in, in the FAI event and on the esports and on the football because they might actually be called to be in all three places at the same time. Mm. So there had to be a bit of flexibility within the schedule to allow that to happen. Yeah, it looked like the football was dominated by South Korea and Germany. Uh, I, okay, uh, I didn't. From what I saw of the stream, I didn't see any other teams. <laughs> getting involved <laughs> uh, i think that's fairly fairly early days for them still to be honest if i'd known it was line of sight i might have gone and give it a crack as well <laughs> there, were, there were other things around there as well there was a line of sight obstacle course with mm. uh, like one of these these old drones and, and i i i will say that i beat the rest of the team hands down in that because they could only <laughs> fly line of sight with the tail facing at them you know, to not proper pilots, are they? 
and this this is where we 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 see the the BMFA logo sort of reappear on his shoulder there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I checked the drone soccer i believe they are yeah like frank said all piloted maybe i was just looking at someone who wasn't being particularly animated before <laughs> but, uh, yeah it's a wonderful experience the um the job of um a team manager comes up for renewal every year so i'm i'm in place pending someone else uh taking it over or myself being re-elected or reselected, shall I say. And uh, I, I really wonder again because it was a fantastic experience. I'm, I'm not sure we'll be going out to the Far East again, but uh, if we are, yeah, I'm in. And if we're going <laughs> to make closer like Italy, yeah, I'm in. But uh, it, it's an experience. It, it's a great time, but I wouldn't really call it a holiday. <laughs> it wasn't busy, really busy very time. restful. No. I mean, constantly it, on the go. Yeah, yeah, all the time, and and finding out, and um, and I don't think Korea is quite a dry country, but we certainly didn't find any pubs anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was great to to meet all the other teams. I, I think something that um, I, I don't know, you you mentioned it there, Stephen, that the cameras went into the pits and showed some of the footage from there. I, I didn't see any of that, and certainly they weren't in our pits and I, I think that's a real shame because they could have cut to some of that between some of the races and i think that would have been quite interesting instead of just pilots looking nervous pilots <laughs> yeah. doing something, and exactly doing something interesting and more technical yeah. yeah in front of a cardboard box that hasn't got advertising on <laughs> yes <laughs> this episode was recorded in front of a live online audience downloaded and edited to make sense when it's played audio only Censored to please the iTunes people, hosted on the internet, forwarded through to your podcast provider, downloaded, playing on your device, and is now playing in your ears, all thanks to our Patreons. Consider joining them and you'll also get other online benefits. Find out more at patreon.com forward slash let's drone out. So um, I, I notice uh, Min Chang Kim won, um, which which seems to be his permanent place. Uh, he, he's, he lives there on the podium. Um, what, what was it like, kind of racing up against him? Was was he obviously just in a in a league of his own? Because he looks like a machine when you see the footage. Yeah, it, it was a bit of an eye opener actually, because we were going there thinking that um, you know we, we'd have a not a chance of winning it, but certainly be up at the top level, being being pretty competitive. But uh, yeah, they they did seem to take a step up from where we were. But this is a good thing, and this is a point from which we can learn, and a point which mm -hmm. we can move forward from. For us, uh, because the track was so big, it meant that most pilots were flying a, a quad that was quite outside of their normal comfort zone. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the track was so long that uh, everybody had special batteries made up, so everyone was flying eighteen oh, fifties, wow. etc. Eighteen fifty six S on a five yeah. inch. Yeah. Wow. So they, they had quite different characteristics. Uh, the, 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 it was a very fast-flowing track. I mean, there were thoughts before we went away that maybe we should be going there with 6-inch, etc., because that was still within the rules, so we could have something that was more efficient. So I think, I think for next time, and, and what did happen was the track came out on um, – uh, it wasn't Velocidrone, it was a, as another simulation software, which, again, we hadn't really used, so we weren't really familiar with that as well. Hey. 
<laughs> is, that, is that the one? Sorry, I just decided to unminimize it. So it looks like there is a lot of space there. This is a huge, yeah. very, very wide track. I'm taking that's, that's all the elements of the track that we're looking there. It is, although that's not actually the track. Oh, now, so that's just a, a fancy little graphic set up for the ceremony. No, it is the track as was set up for the ceremony. Ah, and right. the reason it is that shape is so that when you look down from above, which I'm not sure anyone actually did, it looks like a quad. Ah. Yeah. So it was quite confusing when we were, were doing, when the guys were doing the warm up because they were saying we've been practicing on the sim, but it's not the same track. It's, it's a different layout where we go these, these um, split S's and, and switchback gates, etc. And they said, yes, well, if we put the lights out to do the actual track, which we're racing tomorrow, by the way, so don't worry about it, then it doesn't look like a quad when you view it from 500 <laughs> So So practice was a little bit. Um, um, odd in the terms that we weren't really flying that. Yeah, but, this looks yeah. like a really large space for you know, modern quad racing is typically pretty technical small tracks, whereas this just looks like wide open the whole way. G GB quad racing uh, quad racing we do over here is generally on much smaller tracks. I think this track was about twice the length of our championship track this year. Mm. so it's quite a different yeah. thing it's like you know uh, without wishing to say we are f1 it's like an f1 car going to an indycar circuit right? <laughs> it's all much bigger it's all quite different it it, it, it looks the same but it's not around <laughs> yes um but they, they really ripped and, and what was yeah. really good and worked really well for the telly was the uh, you can see it down there, bottom right-hand side, where you've got those two lines and the orange and red square. That was basically off the start line, and you shot mm. down there, went up a ramp at the end, and then came back through the red one and came back down. And I saw a hundred – they had a speed camera on that, and I saw 195 um, kph on that. I never saw it go over 200, but Not they were doing shabby. 195 kilometers per hour down there. With a gigantic battery, which most people would never <laughs> consider flying. Yeah, yeah that's right. And, yeah, and, it um, sounds so weird to think about 18650s being used because you don't associate them. No, you said 1850 Ma. Oh, like 1850. One, I thought you said 1860. Yeah, yeah. No, so not, not, oh, yeah, huge 6S batteries then. And yeah. how long was it? Was it lapped or in terms of number of laps or was it timed? And it was three laps. Um, I don't even know what the maximum time you had to do it was because no one took that long. Um, it was, oh, what was it now? It was about 20 second laps, 22 second laps, something like that. And I think our guys were up at uh, 27 second laps. So it was all over in just over a minute, even though it was wow. a massive track. And those batteries were toasty at the end of that. Nice and warm. <laughs> A little bit, little bit swollen. <laughs> yeah, a little, little bit puffed. <laughs> and, um, yeah, but uh, I don't know. I mean, we've got to think, really, if, if we want to go and take part in these events, then this must, in some ways, maybe become something we do a bit more. I mean, it's a question we've got to put to, to the membership, really, about where we want to go with our hobby, well, with our discipline. Mm. Is it, how, how is the... BDRA running in relation to the BMFA because I believe the BMFA sponsored a lot, a lot of this, you know, paid for a lot of money to, to, to get everyone out there. Yeah, how's, how's it all running between between the two at the moment? 
there's a relationship between the the BDRA and the BMFA. Uh, we are separately administered. Uh, they do provide us with some facilities. For example, they, they host the website and provide the emails, etc. And we're a specialist body for them. That brings about some obligations um, for us in terms of the way we run things. But uh, strangely, and I didn't realise this, but one of the obligations was that we, uh, oh yeah, one of the obligations was that we we don't actually have to be BMFA members to take part in a BDRA event. Um, which I thought well, that would have been compulsory, but it, it's certainly not. Um, and they provided us with a lot of support. They provided us with the majority of our funding, I think about a third of our funding. And then we had some money from a few sponsors and a GoFundMe page as well, and that paid for our, our trip over there. Hmm. Still had to be topped up a bit by, by those going, but it got us most of the way there. Uh, this year, we're hoping that we're going to get on the sponsorship train, uh, sponsorship bandwagon earlier so that we can fulfill that gap and then, then give our pilots what we now know would have been better for them and enable them to be better prepared and maybe do better. Because we came ninth out of 28 teams. Okay. And it would be great to do better than that. I mean, not all pilots had their best weekend. And if we could just get everybody up to that level, we would have done fantastically well. I mean, you know, it's, it, it, it's tough, isn't it? It's tough when it starts going wrong on, on day one and you're fixing and the whole three days you've got a soldering iron in your hand. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. That's, that's my entire experience of racing. So. This might be why we're not there, though, other than in a managerial capacity. Well, because you don't, you don't have a 12 quads, so you can just pick up another one and carry on. Uh, three was the limit. And oh, so okay. we were all marked in when we got there, and you had to use a quad that was marked to, um, to take part in the event. Three was the maximum. I mean, it was a bit trigger's broom, to be honest. And uh, you know they didn't they didn't mark lots of pieces of the quad, so you could have swapped it over, but nobody did that. I mean, realistically, everyone's got their favourite quad, and then another one, and then another one. And by the time you're getting to the fourth and fifth, unless you, you really are just having them built for you in a factory, uh, they're, they're not going to be your favourites anymore. So, um, but I don't know about you guys, but if if one of my quads is broken, I want to fix that really of the weekend. I probably should just bin it and start with another one, but um, and, and, and I think that's you know, <laughs> you know, not running LEDs and not knowing how LEDs um, would would work, and the fact you can get shorts and fires with LEDs, etc., which mm. happened, um, yeah, it was um, it was a learning experience. I think it's a pretty good result, though. I mean, going over in a completely different sort of track, maybe not with the, the right gear for it and having just to, to adapt, getting ninth out of uh, 28 is, uh, is pretty good. It, it's, it's, uh, if you could be prepared for that and, and have the, the right practice in the right wards, I think that would be interesting. But do you think um, wherever it is next year, the, the, sort of the format of the, sort of the, the big flowy track will be the same, or is that going to depend on the country and the, the, the sort of, particular place putting it on um they have been big flowy tracks in previous years so i think it might be reasonable to assume that it would be, um, be flowy. 
but uh, whether they will be or not, if um, if it's in Italy, I don't know. Uh, we we will find out. I think it's six weeks before they publish the track. Um, just just to go back to our, our rankings, actually, we we were there amongst uh, about 130 competitors, something like that. And um, overall, we secured 30th place for Owen. Uh, sorry, 20th place for Owen. 32nd for Joshi and 56th for Saul. And yeah. also Joshi did 15th uh, out of a very competitive junior field as well. So uh, we, did, we did well. My personal aim was top 10, but I didn't tell anyone until afterwards. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it counts. <laughs> so what's, what's the, the plan for the, the next one then, I guess? is Because I mean, the, there's going to be the selection through the same process through British qualifying events. So uh, that's the thing to look out for if anyone like wants to race competitively is the qualifying events, the QEs, yeah. um, to, to get the... The points? Is uh, it still I points? I or? don't think you were at the uh, AGM this year, Andrew. No. I don't think any of you guys were actually. But there were there were thoughts expressed about because we are in a an area now where we're having fewer pilots competing events. So, and you must remember when we used to go to Western Park, if you hadn't signed up by thirty seconds past eight, you were <laughs> not getting in. There yeah. were times when the website crashed because so many people wanted to sign up at the same time. I, they said it was PayPal crashed, but I don't think even PayPal is, uh, is going to be overloaded by 70 people, etc. And I remember they, they had to increase the field from 60 to 72 mm. because so many people had signed up so quickly and it was impossible to see what order they went through in that um, it was extended. So we need to get back to that. Um, and at the AGM this year, there were uh, several people talking about changing things around and, and we've got a new committee now and, Ooh, and we're yes. looking to make it um, more, uh, you know, we want to get back to, to if I, well, maybe not if I don't get in in the first minute, I don't get in, but um, <laughs> it would be nice to fully sell out events for certain. And mm. so the whole BQE format is 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 going to be discussed over the months of November and December. Okay. And then I know that there are events scheduled for very early in the new year. And again, we'll run through to the end of July. The team will be selected at the end of July. And I think that the world championships will be around about October again, something like that. It's, it's actually really difficult. And I didn't really appreciate it from the outside to get all of these dates to come together. Mm. we're talking about planning events a year away and you think well god it's a year away you can sort that out but no it's um, it's, it's a complicated puzzle to put together yeah there's a it's a lot of moving parts and a lot of people with a lot of especially schedules. with people who are you know not doing this professionally and have to work around real life jobs uh, yeah, I am really lucky that I don't have a full-time job anymore. <laughs> and I, I think I would have really, really struggled to, to fulfill the role as um, team GBR manager if I was working full-time as mm. well, especially in the job that I had because it was pretty full-on. Um, so and sponsorship and needs to go further than free props. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm not suggesting it should be a paid position, Stephen, but you never know. <laughs> 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 no, I had a great time, but it wasn't a holiday, as I say. Yeah, but if if you get reselected for for next year, 
how how do you think is what would you do differently to prepare hmm. the pilots um to prepare the pilots i think that we should remember that we are a team uh we, we have to i mean it must be like golfers going off on the Ryder cup i mean for the whole year uh, they're competing against each other and then they all play for the same team or for two teams in the Ryder cup and i think we need to make that happen earlier so that so that you know all all, all the guys or girls and whatever are all trying to do the same thing that's best for the team because it is in a way a team competition um i think the importance of the simulator is going to matter and i i I just wonder if you know. You asked the question, Wayne, about you know. Do I think it's going to be a big track again? I mean, if we make all our tracks big this year and then they put a small track on, if we go to Italy or, or wherever else it is, then then we're not going to have got that right. You can have variety though, just uh, keep surprising people. Yeah, yeah. I guess the struggle there is is having the space to safely have. A big fast track. I mean, usually, you know, the track designs are quite heavily targeted towards lots of chicanes to slow people down, so that the, the mm. you know it's it's safe to do so it. Only not the very gonna... best pilots are sitting at one hundred percent throttle. <laughs> yeah, because exactly. if you're sitting with an eighteen hundred Mar six S on your quad and two thousand one hundred kV motors, and you're just holding the throttle wide open, <laughs> and something goes wrong, that thing's off like a cannonball. You're not seeing yeah. that again. You're going to have to go walk to the next field over. Yeah, yeah, and there was there was a bit of that as well. Um, they were very good on on safety. Everything was cordoned off, but um, there were a few quads that clipped gates flat out, and they just went. They went a long way, but uh, into a safe zone where it wasn't a problem. As you're legally mandated to say. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have done it then. <laughs> and uh, there were there were some some, especially in the practice. I was quite old oh here. Where's the first aid box? Because <laughs> it it felt like some people were going to be nipping their fingers because mm. um, on the last day there was a higher level of scrutineering. And they decided that you couldn't actually go and recover your own quad. So the quad were recovered by local helpers and whatever, and they weren't flyers. And what's more, they weren't actually allowed to unplug the quad because, what? yeah, they had to bring it back. And so on the last day, they decided that the protocol was that you turned your transmitter off so that the quad went into failsafe and it could not arm when some civilian helper was going and getting it and bringing it back. And the reason they decided to turn the quad off was because when one of the guys was doing one of the excellent TV um, reviews, someone took the transmitter off him, flicked the switch and accidentally armed it. No, no injuries occurred from this, but that's what actually happened. So on the last day, it was turning transmitter off, they bring it over. And also some nationalities were complaining about uh, people who didn't really know what they were doing, pulling the plugs out because they'd just be pulling on the end of the XT60 rather than be pulling a, a pair of wires. And so it was starting to come off the board, etc. So I don't know, maybe that's something that needs to be a bit better next time. Um, but um, mm. the, the concern was that if the pilot or a helper went and 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 recovered a quad that they could meddle with it in such a way that it would then pass scrutineering. 
but mm. um, no one, no one felt scrutineering in the end. Some, sometimes the, the threat of actually having a speed camera negates the speeding, doesn't it? Really, and I think that was the case <laughs> here. You will be scrutineered, or oh, okay. What about speed soldering practice as well to, <laughs> to get those quads up and running? If you're only allowed three. Years? Do you need to, to get people used to soldering, get things up and running in five, maybe three minutes, instead of having a whole weekend to tinker and make a cup of tea and think about it? Oh, you've not been to many race events, have you? <laughs> no, plenty of sitting around. No hurry then, no hurry. <laughs> no, it's rush, rush, rush the whole time, isn't it, really? I and mean, even Sol, who had uh, the, the most terrible of luck, really. I mean, his, his practice session the extended practice session on the first day, he must have really rude that because he, he damaged a lot of gear in that. And that's what he spent all of his time recovering from. And, mm. and I've got pictures of us all sitting there at uh, 10 o'clock at night, back in the hotel soldering um, to get his bits and pieces back into place. And, uh, and you know, we we're still sorting it out in breakfast as, as, as well. Mm. And, uh, and if I got the angle right, I probably would have seen the hotel owner in the background looking very um, unhappy <laughs> with soldering on Why are you soldering on your breakfast table? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's uh, little puffs of smoke coming from his very nice table, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, it, um, it was just a <laughs> fabulous, fabulous experience. I was very, very lucky to go, and um, I really want to do it again. And, and I really well, want good to luck to this time next year for whoever ends up taking the bat on, whether it's you or someone else. But you know, it's great to see that Team GBR is out there doing stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was very nice to see you know the UK having a team out at the international event. It was it was a relief. It's it's been it feels like it's been there's been too many events that we haven't made it to. Yes, there's been well, yeah, we haven't made it to them, have we? Um, we've gone to other events, such as the one that was out in um, I can't remember. Uh, it was out in the Middle East somewhere, wasn't it? Where was that? Where Luke Bannister went and uh, won oh. a quarter of a million dollars or something like that. Well, but that wasn't actually Dubai. That one wasn't it. Dubai, that's that's right. That's but that wasn't ago, actually wasn't an FAI event, as I understand mm. it. So and that was that was as Xblades, right? Rather than uh, uh, the UK team, I, I think. I don't know that part of the history that well. <laughs> it's that, that, that this is a while ago now, yeah, isn't it? Xblades was the team that won because I think they 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 said they'd split the money between like the sixty odd people that were in the team, which is I don't think Luke got quite as much as he as he would have liked. No. That point of view, it was it was um, it was nice to go there, and as I say, and, I, and I've, I've got the flag over, over there in the background, and uh, we walked around the stadium with that, and that's uh, that's my flag. <laughs> 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 I'm going to remember that 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 and my badge. Uh, it's um, yeah, lucky me. Nice memory. Do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, achievement scheme? Which I oh, think yeah. So just in case someone actually... So you were saying I was among the that. rarefied few that did this voluntarily with without coercion um, as a group. <laughs> and I'd like to report, it's a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Uh, it was quite relaxing, quite fun. Uh, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd like to encourage other people to do it, just as a... Maybe you, you don't intend to do a lot of racing. It's an FPV qualification. I'm not a massive racer myself, but I, I think it's a great way of going above the bare minimum and showing that you know as a as a community we're 
we're good at what we do and we're not just uh, a bunch of oiks with quads. <laughs> That's right. The BMFA developed all their achievement schemes really to help everybody better themselves. There's, there's no requirement to pass these achievement schemes. Clubs might actually have a requirement um, for you to be an A or a B test certificate holder if you're flying fixed wing or heli, etc. But there's no requirement at the moment for uh, quad pilots because there wasn't really that many qualifications, to be honest, um, for them to actually pass these tests. And um, the, the test itself, uh, you did very well. It was... Um, I was quite nervous. Well, everything was still attached at the end, which is good. (laughs) Well, I don't think you even had a retest, did you? Because you're allowed two goes at the test on the day. Um, You did your practice, uh, which was was pretty good. And uh, I was sorry that I made that a practice because you would have passed, especially if you did badly on the next two, because then your practice would have been a pass and your two real attempts wouldn't have been. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's all about safety. It's all about not injuring yourself, not injuring others, uh, not injuring the public and, and, and being responsible, really. And uh, I think that's something that the BMFA really strive for. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're always very keen to, to say that, like, the, the, yeah, the, the achievement scheme is there, like, purely for your own benefit. If, if, uh, and if, if an event decides they want you to have a B cert to, to fly there, or if a club wants you to have an A cert to fly there, that's up to them. But that's not the BMFA saying that's what you need. Like that's that's not a stipulation. But I can tell you, as an event organizer, it makes it your life a lot easier if you don't need to find a, like a personal reference for someone. They can just show you the B cert, and you're like, yeah, all right, crack on. Yeah, now that's that's really why the certs get required is because it makes a life a lot easier for someone who's organizing something. If you're running a club and someone just comes up to you and says, look, I've got my A cert, then you like, you're, you're probably fine to just crack on and have a fly. Mm. Uh, and, and you're and not going to jeopardize our club. That's, that's, that's why I that happens. This was a good idea. I think we had Chris on a while ago, Chris Bradbury mm. talking about mm. schemes in general. And this caught my attention because, um, you know, I, I do, technically own some RC aircraft with wings or, and I have in the past destroyed several RC aircraft with <laughs> wings probably had them in the air for a total of less than 30 seconds um, so I mainly fly quads uh, and this was this was a qualification that targeted flying multi-rotors and it targeted multi-rotors from an FPV perspective instead of a line of sight perspective which is, is important because a lot of the use of multi-rotors, people jump to assume it's going to be a DJI camera platform. It's going to be flown line of sight by someone who is being guided through this by a smartphone app and doesn't know what they're doing. And, and, and this kind of stigma attaches itself to a lot of multi-rotor users. And I thought the fact that a certification that targets multi-rotors with FPV along a racing course where there's an element of skill, there's obstacles to get round, there's smoothly joining maneuvers together. It's a good thing to show that I can do as a pilot to kind of just show all the heli pilots and wing pilots who are probably justifiably suspicious of multi-rotor pilots that, yes, you know, we can fly. We can go through this accreditation scheme the the same way as they would and perform maneuvers and avoid obstacles and so on and so forth. And 
I think it's very important that as multi-rotor pilots or FPV pilots, we have something like this to, to shed this stigma of being reckless and, you know, just using smartphone apps and not really having full control of our vehicles. It's, it's important. And um, I think it's good for the community as a whole. So that's, that's my angle on it. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I agree with you because there's a lot of younger people that come into the, the, the quad racing and, and flying multicopters, etc. And there's not a lot of young people that go into the older disciplines of wings and, and helis, etc. But also, also, as we know, there's, there's also crossover, as you've described there, where someone might start young with quads, et cetera, and then as they, as, they, as they get a bit older, maybe they'll do helis and maybe they'll do wings, uh, fixed wing, et cetera, scale. So it's a good thing for all of us to have more people within the community because I, I, I can go across all of them, and I'm sure lots of other people will as well. And, um, you know, there, there aren't enough young people in this hobby. Yeah, it just puts multi-rotors on the same footing as the wings and the helis, which I think is really positive. Mm. So do you, do you fancy a question or two from your, your test, Stephen? Do you think you can still remember the answer? <laughs> uh, yeah, fire fire away. See if I can. Okay. You can Google really quickly. I should say to the audience, I do not have any reference information here, and um, I've just had a nice IPA here. So. Okay, then. So what's the maximum height that you can fly at without authorization of a quad this would be uh 400 feet 100 meters uh yes that's uh, it's i think it's 118 meters actually okay but 400 feet yes that's a, that's a pass and um uh, frank i think you should have a question as well yeah, go for it because you've only had one beer as far as i, I can tell and you're not even showing us what the label on that is very 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 good of you uh uh, Wayne, you're getting a little bit nervous there. I think you know what's coming. I am. I, I could have got the first question brilliantly <laughs> as well. So it's getting, I'm running out of ones I know. I think so, you're allowed to fly um, higher if you're not a multi rotor, which always irked <laughs> me as well. So, when can you fly without a dedicated spotter? And what uh, would your limitations be? It's in a there's a it's special it's word it's for it's it, Frank. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, basically a at a race, but it's a st st sterile st environment. Yeah, that's right. And can you remember how high you can go in that environment? Yeah, it's like isn't it like thirty feet or something? Yeah, it, it, it's quite a bit higher. I think it's uh, thirty meters, maybe fifty meters. I think it's thirty meters. Um, and I mean that 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 was good that we got that dispensation because otherwise you need a lot of spotters. When we were out in mm. Korea, spotters were line of sight. Spotters weren't mm. allowed to uh, to take part by the goggles. And um, actually, the other thing I should mention is everybody that went there was given a booklet on how you fly drones in in Korea, and, and that was obviously part of the, the, the part of the procedure really, and part of the tick box exercise. So. Curry kitten. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, Frank got that Frank got a hard one. Stephen got an if, easy one, so it's time for an easy one. If you were uh, wanting to fly in a flight restriction zone of a protected aerodrome, who would you have to get permission from? 
I think I have to get permission from the, the tower at the aerodrome. Yeah. It wasn't that hard, was it? Air traffic control or the owners <laughs> of the protected aerodrome. I've got another 20 here, but I, I think we've probably reached our time. But, but the, yeah. yeah, we have. But I just see in the chat, there's quite a lot of discussion about how the achievement scheme, the FPV set, relates to the line of sight set. So Harry mm. Hangis is up in Scotland, so he's dealing with the Scottish... Hello, Callum. Uh, I can't remember what the AA stands for, but the discussion equivalent of the BMFA, I guess. Um, it's like a special interest group within the BMFA. I can't remember how they relate to each other. Either way, uh, so apparently they've got a scheme, but it doesn't include multi-rotors. They've suggested the BMFA line of sight multi-rotor test. Caroline Tyler is saying that the multi-rotor FPV is only an extension of the line of sight multi-rotor ACERT, but... I don't think that's quite right. That, that is correct. That is correct. The multi-rotor okay. FPV is an extension to the ACER, and you have to do the multi-rotor ACER first. But this is a separate qualification altogether. It's to do with racing quads. Exactly. So what did what did so so what did Stephen do? I'm confused. I did now. the racing one. You did the racing one. So I can't fly a line of sight to save oh. my ass. Come on now. Well, that's what I mean. Right? So so the, so there's the racing set. Yeah. And there's the multi-rotor racer that's the line of sight, and there's the FPV extension to that line of sight one. Yeah. There's the FPV extension to the multi-rotor A and B. Which I do think is a little bit backwards. Like, there's a lot of people who can fly FPV. That's why I was doing this, because I thought it was important to underscore that FPV is kind of the starting path for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people that if their goggles fail, they're absolutely done for like I'd have thought the line of sight multi-rotor should be an extension to the FPV multi-rotor, really. Well, we can put it forward, can't we? Maybe <laughs> what, get Chris what I, back. Like you could do what, one either and then the other. What, what I tend to think is you, if you have a, a, a specific FPV cert, then part of that as your safety thing should be your goggles are out. Now line your craft line of sight to prove you can do that because I think that's... If you can flick it into angle mode, sure. Yeah. That's an important skill. Everybody should know how to recover a drone if they lose certain vision aspects of it. But um, yeah, I don't. I don't think many of us would be able to fly figure eights that well. <laughs> Mostly because we fly too fast and too low, and it's just there's the recipe for disaster there. When you you know like, oh, I'm in acro mode trying to do this line of sight now. Yeah. Oh, one tumbling well, uh, around. Oh, what what are my rates? Oh, they're thirteen hundred degrees per second. <laughs> Not great for line of sight. <laughs> But, yeah. but re- yeah. regardless, Stephen didn't have to do any line of sight and has a piece of paper yeah. that says A on it. A piece of paper, so, exactly. So I, go. I've gone the logical step that a lot of people, you know, <laughs> listening or watching to this will have done, which is just to put the goggles on and start flying and, you know, after doing the simulator and, and bounce off things a bit and, and off we go. And I, I did do a little bit of line of sight. I lied a bit. I started with one of those little hub sand things, but yes. it's not something that I do more than once a year these days, so. Um, FPV is what I wanted to look at. Well, if Curry Kitten gets his way, you'll have to do a bit more of it, won't you? Just in case you have an unfortunate <laughs> moment. Yeah. Maybe maybe it should be that your spotter should fl- be able to fly line of sight, and you just hand the transmitter over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did we get rid of that thing about the spotter yeah. has to be able to take over your flight, and because that That's right. you need to be a yeah, super technical spotter then. Apply smelling salts, slap you on the back. <laughs> no, the, the spotter. Well, the spotter's role is is 
purely about safety. It's purely about making sure you don't endanger someone else. And if you're running into trouble, to tell you to dump it, basically. Uh, if if I'm not much mistaken, the in the A like the the the, the ANO, the actual like proper law bit, the spotter is only there to make sure that you don't cause an issue for other aircraft, right? Like that's what they're doing. They're meant mm-hmm. to be looking out. To make sure that they're manned and and and, and hazards on the ground, like if is it hazards targets. on the ground as well? Yeah, soft targets, yeah. The spotter should alert you if an unexpected person walks into the flying area, for example. That's I mean, something the absolutely very helpful to have a spotter there. To I mean, that's what we're doing all the time. You I mean, that's say, in, that's oh, in the BMFI guide. That, that's in the BMFI BMFA guidelines for this. That I, I know though. Yeah, huh? that's what I mean. I, I'm sure it's part of the guidelines because it's a sensible thing. Like if you're there, mm. you've got a pair of eyes. Having someone be able to tell you someone's about to come onto the field, there's a cyclist about to go past, there's a dog on the loose. You know, all of that is helpful information. Being able to have someone there to, you know, someone's like walking up quite angrily behind you and is about to clock you one, and maybe is there to intercept and talk, you know, diffuse the situation while you land. Like that's. That's all helpful to have a spot. That's, an, that's the, yeah, I mean that yeah, but those are non-flight related issues, I suppose, really, aren't yeah. they? But uh, but I think the sort of the 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 ANO, the, the pure mm. legal side of it is that they're yeah. there for keeping uh, separation from manned aircraft. But wow, we have, we have definitely pick. gone over the hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> onto the minutiae now. What's yeah. in which thing? I mean, <laughs> we don't want to fly into anyone. We don't want to show with Frank. In a coming week, we will do minutia with Frank. <laughs> a dedicated <laughs> hour of the footnotes to the footnotes. Yeah, I'm going to have to do a lot more reading because I have not been keeping up with it all. It's all changed in the past few years. And, yes, yeah, don't listen to me. Well, Frank loves reading lengthy I, PDFs. So well, well, the problem is, I don't have a nice long commute on a train anymore. <laughs> when I had a nice long commute on a train, I didn't mind reading all, all, all every single document from beginning to end, but. I drive now, and it's harder to read documents from beginning to end. I'm a commute now. That's probably remind me, what's commuting again? Oh, go away. But you <laughs> leave your house to work. You leave your house. Oh. Oh. I, know. I know. I mean, like you did, Stephen, if anyone wants to contact me or contact the other people on the BDRA, if, if people are uh, situated further away from the southeast, I'm very happy to do further tests. Just drop us a line. Secretary at BDRA.uk. I'm sure it will appear somewhere in the notes. And uh, if that can be uh, be put out there and people want to do it, we can do it in various places around the country and be more than delighted to, so to get more again? people Secretary- like you, Stephen, qualified. Secretary at BDRA.co.uk? Uh, no, just BDRA.uk. .uk. BDRA.uk. Thank yeah. you very much. Right. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Let's Drone Out. And this week we have had Curry. Goodbye. We've had Stephen. Thanks. Good night. We have had David. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for coming on. I have been Frank slash Andrew. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week. Who have we got on next week? I can't remember. We are talking to a unit, I believe, next week. Um, who's going to be telling us about various updates with AM32 and beta flight and how to contribute to some of these projects. Ooh, there we go. That's what to look forward to next week. Thank you for watching and goodbye. Bye. Bye. Telemetry lost.